Hey, it's good to see you on this holiday weekend. I'm wearing my most patriotic red, white, and blue shirt that I have. And happy Independence Day for tomorrow, right? I have a question for you. Have you ever been lied to? Cheated? Deceived? Maybe you clicked on that link before you realized that email or that text message was bogus. Mm. A couple of years ago, well, several years ago, actually, I, I knew a couple that was looking to buying a business. It was a small business, a shop. And so they met with the owner and looked over the financial records. They looked at the books to see what it cost to operate the business, what the gross and the net profits were, how much profit they were making. And everything looked good, so they bought the business. Unfortunately, they discovered later that the owners had actually, as they say, cooked the books. They misrepresented the finances. And actually, there was no way that that business could make any profit. And they lost their shirts financially. I hate that. You know, I, I care about my finances. But do you know what I care about far more than I care about my finances? My eternal soul. I want to know the truth about God and to follow him. And so in a world that is filled with all kinds of religions and philosophies and teaching about spirituality, how do we know the truth about God, that we can follow him and know him? Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But we live in a world where people get their news from different social media outlets and it's hard to know what's fake news and what the actual events of our day really are. So how can we begin to know the truth about eternal God that we can't even see? And I think it's easy sometimes to kind of feel like Pilate when Jesus spoke to him about truth and he just shrugged his shoulders and he said, what is truth? After all, people say, you have your truth and I have my truth, right? It, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you are sincere about it and it's true for you. Now, I say, try that next time you get pulled over by a police officer for speeding, right? Tell them, I truly, sincerely believe the speed limit was 55 miles an hour, not 25 miles an hour. Or better yet, say to him this, 55 miles an hour is your speed limit. 25 miles an hour, or excuse me, 25 miles an hour is your speed limit. 55 miles an hour is mine. Both are true. See how that goes when you try that with a police officer. Even within the Christian faith, you have all kinds of teachings, all kinds of contradictory, uh, contradictory teachings that you can see and find, right? You can find a book, a podcast, even a church that will tell you pretty much whatever you want to find. You have some who might say something like, God wants to bless you with health and wealth right now. And he wants to make you rich in this world. And you find some that might say, you know, anything you want to do is okay with God because he loves you. Any kind of sexual practice, anything you want to do is perfectly okay because God loves you. And so how do we know? How do we stay on track with the truth? Well, the aged Apostle John writes in the little book that we've been studying, 1 John, about how we can know and follow the truth about God. And it begins in the section that we're going to be looking at in our teaching text today, which is 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. 
If you have your Bible, I invite you to open there to that little book, 1 John. We're going to begin in verse 18 of chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there's one there for you. I think it's on page 1021. As we look at this, it seems that there were some people in the early church who were beginning to teach things that simply were not true. And they were deceiving and leading astray people in the church. And so John writes in this letter a warning about them. And, and, and he tells believers things that can help us know the truth about God and follow him in truth. And that, that's what I want. I want to know the truth and to really connect with and follow God. And so... I invite you looking with me in 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. I'd like to invite you, if you're able to, to stand with me as I read our teaching text today. John writes, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and it is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Let me pray for us. Father, as we look at this scripture, we ask your Holy Spirit to show us how we can know the truth about you, that we might follow you and please you in reality and truth. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So what does God say to us through the writing of John about how we can know and follow the truth about God? First of all, he says, beware, be aware that we are living in a unique time of false teaching. We're living in a unique time of false teaching. Now, you might say, Pastor John, that sounds like hyperbole. After all, Satan has always been a liar and he's always been trying to deceive people about God. Going back to the Garden of Eden when he misrepresented what God said and he falsely impugned um, God's motives and he lied about the effect of their disobedience to God. And yes, it's true. There have always been lies and false teaching and false religions. But John says we are now living in a unique time of false teaching. Look with me at verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Now, what does he mean by that expression, the last hour? It's actually one of several terms the Bible uses to talk about this, this 
era of time, this era of time that began when Jesus came into the world. The last hour is the time between the first coming of Jesus, we celebrated Christmas, and his second coming that we look forward to at the end of time. Now, you might think, well, boy, John wrote this a couple of thousand years ago. If this is the last hour, it's been a while. <laughs> now, for those of us who live inside the calendar and we turn the page of the calendar every year, 2,000 years is a long time. But for God, who lives outside of the calendar, not so much. Uh, Jesus brought in this time, this last season in history, and, and it is the last days, as Peter calls it in his sermon in Acts when he quotes Joel, and what John here calls the last hour. And you'll notice there's one thing John says that is characteristic of this last hour, and it's that there are going to be false teachers and false te teaching. He said, you heard that Antichrist is coming. Now, you might wonder, where did they hear that? Well, they heard it from Jesus himself, because many times Jesus talked about this, like in Mark 13, where Jesus said, false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. So Antichrist is a term that, that covers both those who are anti that is in opposition of Christ, and also what, what uh, Jesus referred to in that passage I just read, pseudo-Christ or false Christ, those who would offer themselves in place of Jesus Christ, who would like to, uh, to subvert and hijack the, the Christian faith and kind of shape it to be something else. So we need to be careful, just like you're careful when you click on that link, we need to be careful and think about what we come to believe about God. Now, how, how can we be careful? The next two things we see in this passage actually tell us because he shows us what to look out for and also how to avoid falling for the deception and the false teaching that's out there. So first of all, just be aware that we are living in a unique time of false teaching. Secondly, recognize the characteristics of these false teachers, the characteristics of these false teachers. You know, if you've been looking carefully at the emails and the links that you get, we've learned for certain tales, haven't we, in terms of is this a bogus email or not. We look to see if there's misspellings in it. And we look to see if the uh, email address matches who it says it's from. Or if it's from someone that we know, is it uncharacteristic of them? And unfortunately, these schemers are getting more clever, aren't they? It's getting harder and harder to tell. So John lays out three things that we can look for in these false teachers. The first thing he says about them is this. They depart. They depart. Look at verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. In other words, they abandon their faith and the church. They abandon the bride of Christ. And that's what I kind of want to focus on here as I, as I talk about this. Here's something I've learned over the years. When someone withdraws from being an active part of the community of faith, they withdraw from the church, I want to be careful about their understanding of Christianity and what they think about God. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people who claim to be followers of Christ, but simply are not part of the body of Christ. They're not an active part of a church. Now, there's some people who 
or you know what you might call shut-ins and things like that and I, I don't want to sound legalistic or and I don't want to make people feel guilty who simply are unable to be able to be at church but here, here's what I would say John says you can tell about a person's spiritual life by if they persevere and continue being a part of the community of faith because that is something that's real important when you look at what the Bible says about faith. There are always people who, who claim to be followers of Christ, but they are also very critical and they don't want to be part of the church. And they always have good reasons, right? The church is full of hypocrites. That's true, you know. You know the saying, right? There's always room for one more. You know, none of us are perfect, right? The church is full of hypocrites, you know. Uh, organized religion is bad. Now, um, the Mission Church is, is a, a better organized church than I've been a part of. I've, I've always felt like, hey, if you, if you don't like organized religion, come to our church. It's the, it's the most disorganized thing you'll be a part of. <laughs> but we're making progress on that, right? Um, you know, the, the church is just too much of this or not enough of that. And there's always reasons. But John says you can tell two things about true followers of Christ who are in a healthy place spiritually relative to the church and here are the two things he's inferring first of all they will participate they will participate they're going to be a part of God's people you cannot read the Bible without seeing the significance of being a part of God's people and you especially can't read what Jesus says in the other writings in the New Testament without seeing how important the church is the creation of God is the church. Jesus is preparing the church as a bride for himself, as imperfect as we are, and, and we are. We're just imperfect. We are still the people of God that he brings together, that he is working in us in a unique way as we gather in community. And so people who really want to follow Christ are going to participate in the church as the Bible teaches. And secondly, he said he's inferring that they will persevere and continue in their faith and in the church. Now, why is that? It's because it is the work of God in our hearts to persevere. I, I love the song we sang a moment ago about Christ holding us fast. It's the work of God. It's not that, that we're just committed. God's work through Jesus Christ in our heart draws us to continue and to persevere. In fact, Paul says it this way in Philippians 1.6. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Whose work is it? It's his work in us. And by the way, the context for that passage of Scripture I just read is about their partnership in the gospel with others in churches working together. And so I'm always cautious about people who are not connected and active and a part of the body of Christ. Because um, one of the signs of these false teachers is, is they depart. A second sign, he says, is they deny. They deny. Look at verse 22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Now, this is where John is defining Antichrist. Who is the Antichrist or the spirit of these false teachers? It's those who deny the truth most specifically about Jesus Christ. Jesus is the key about everything we're doing here. He's the center of it. 
Everything we do, we do because of Jesus Christ. We are his people. This is his body. And the false teachers denied Jesus is the Christ, that is, that he is the Messiah, and they denied that he is the Son, that is, he is God, eternal God, in human flesh. Now, let me give some background about these false teachers. Um, we're not actually certain who these false teachers are, but, but many, if not most scholars, feel like these pro- what he's talking about is a group that was called the Gnostics. Some of you may be familiar with the Gnostics. Um, they were kind of um, aping some of the pagan um, mystery religions in, in, in the day around them. But here's what they came to believe. The word Gnostic is related to the word for knowledge. And they believed that there was a special, deeper knowledge, something you're not going to find in, in the Bible, so to speak. Something that's a deeper knowledge of God. And they want to lead people into this deeper knowledge of God. And that's how you come to really be right spiritually. And, and this led to some really strange thoughts. For example, they thought there was this tremendous dichotomy between the spiritual world and the material world. And this led to what they taught about Jesus Christ. The idea of God becoming man is impossible if the spiritual and the physical can ever be connected. And so what they taught was that Jesus was just a normal, average Joe person. And the spirit of God or the essence of the deity came upon him at his baptism and departed from him before his death on the cross. And so this is the group that he's probably talking about. They denied the saving work of Jesus Christ and his identity. And the work and identity of Christ is at the very heart of the Christian faith. And false teaching usually deals with and distorts who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. For example, some years ago, Newsweek published an article, The Other Jesus. And it talked about how different religions look at Jesus Christ outside of the Christian faith. For example... Judaism sees Jesus as what they call an admirable Jew, but he's certainly not the Messiah and most certainly not God's son. In fact, rabbis warn, don't believe that any Jew could be a God, if you ever read the New Testament. Islam teaches that Jesus was born of a virgin and that Mary and Jesus were untainted by sin and that Jesus was, quote, the anointed one who worked miracles and ascended into heaven. However, They don't believe he died on the cross. They believe he ascended into heaven, that Allah intervened and saved him before the crucifixion. So they're changing the work of Christ. Buddhism, such as the Dalai Lama has popularized, see a lot of similarities between Buddha and Jesus. Both, they say, were conceived of virgins. Both experienced wilderness temptations and returned, quote, enlightened and preached compassion and gentleness. They believe, however, that Jesus was ultimately abandoned by God when he died on the cross and was not resurrected and and ascended back to heaven. Hinduism sees Jesus as a self-realized saint who reached the highest level of God consciousness. And they believe that he spent his teenage years in Southeast Asia where he learned uh, uh, yogic yogic meditation and he returned home as a, quote, Jewish rabbi or Jewish guru and that he never died on the cross and was resurrected. And Mormons, we were talking about Mormons earlier. Mormons have a lot of interesting things that they teach about Jesus. They actually teach Jesus is not at all God in human form. Jesus is a a being from another planet. And so usually when you get into these false teachings, 
in some way, they, they, they twist and distort who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. Now, why is that a problem? <laughs> why does John say this is problematic so that if you don't believe the truth about Jesus, you can't have God, you can't be right in your relationship with God? Well, I think there are two reasons. First of all, Jesus reveals the Father. Jesus is the one who ultimately reveals God to us, right? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Uh, Paul writes in Colossians 2, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. So if you want to see and know who God is, he has most completely revealed himself in the person of Jesus. And so you have to, you have to accept Jesus for who he is if you want to know who God is. And the second reason this is important is because it is faith in Jesus is the only way to God the Father. His death on the cross, his resurrection three days later, that's the only way that we can be reconciled and have our sins paid for and come into right relationship with God. In fact, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. In Acts 4, when Peter got up to preach, he says, Salvation is found in no one else, neither is there any other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And so when you deny the truth about who Jesus is and what Jesus did, you cannot know God and come into right relationship with God. I would say that's a problem, wouldn't you? And so it is a significant thing. And false teachers, they depart from the church, they deny who Jesus is, and finally... They deceive, he says. They deceive. Look at verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. And all I'll say about that is this one thing. It's amazing to me how fervent some people are about their thoughts about spiritual truth. And, and, and how willing they are to talk about it and be out there and, and, and put it forward to people. Except those of us who are followers of Christ. Who are worried about offending someone or maybe looking at embarrassingly inept and 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 we kind of sit on our hands and keep our mouths shut and if these people were trying to get people to follow what they were teaching how do we guard our hearts against this this is the third thing we see in this passage and that is we do so by utilizing what i call god's truth tools god's truth tools there's a harbor in italy that has a very narrow channel entering into the harbor and so they set three lights on poles. And if you line up those three lights as you're coming in, if you take the position so that you see those three lights perfectly lined up where it looks like they're just one single light because they're perfectly in alignment, then you know that you're in the right channel as you're coming into the harbor. God has given three things that help us know how to avoid these false things that are out there about Him and spirituality. And here they are. The first thing He's given us is the anointing of God's Spirit. The anointing of God's Spirit. Look at verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you because you I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. And let's skip to verse 27 where he picks up this idea again. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Now here John is, again, poking at the Gnostics. He's already been poking at them, by the way. A couple weeks ago, you looked at that passage of Scripture where it said... Uh, 
young children, fathers, young men, if you remember that passage, you remember, what did he say about the fathers? He said, you know God. And then the second time when he spoke to the young children, what did he say to them? He said, you know God. What he was saying is you don't need anything more. There's no secret knowledge. You, by faith in Christ, know God. And everything there is to know about God is now available to you. And, and so here, here again, he comes back and, and he's kind of poking at the Gnostics when he's talking about the anointing because that was a term that the Gnostics used. When you were initiated into their secret society, so to speak, their secret knowledge about God, they, they would say you've been anointed into this special knowledge. And so he's kind of, this is why most scholars think he's talking about Gnostics. He's kind of poking at them saying, you already have an anointing. And the anointing you have is something that everyone has. You don't need a deeper experience. In fact, you'll notice he says, you all have knowledge. And so it is the coming of the Spirit of God into our heart that brings us this knowledge of God. And when does the Spirit of God come into a believer's heart? It's at the day of salvation. It's at the moment of salvation when you believe the Spirit of God comes into your heart. And what does the Spirit of God do? You might remember that last night Jesus spent with his disciples. He said this to them in John 16. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for you will take what is, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the one who teaches us. And he says, you don't need anyone to teach you. Now, we know that the Spirit of God has gifted some people to be teachers and, and to equip the saints. And so he's not saying we don't need teachers in the church. Again, he's looking toward the Gnostics who have this special knowledge they want to teach you. And he's saying, you don't need that. The Spirit of God comes into your heart when you put your faith in, in, in Christ. And he's going to begin to unfold to you and help you understand the teaching of, of Christ. So my question is, okay, how do I utilize that? How do I utilize the anointing of the Holy Spirit in my life so that I can know and follow the truth about God? Well, let me suggest just a couple of things. First of all, don't grieve the Holy Spirit with sin. Don't grieve Him. Don't quench the Holy Spirit by being disobedient to Him and, and, and not opening your heart to Him. I don't know about you guys, but I have problems with my Internet at home sometimes. We do like the prayer Zoom, the upper, the upper Zoom, we call it. Stole that from someone. Um, and, and, and a lot of times when we're doing this, I'm in a back room in my house and people are praying and all of a sudden they're, they're freeze. And it's kind of funny, you know, they, usually it's the most embarrassing point, you know, I'm sure that happens with me. And, and they freeze. And the problem is I'm too far from the modem and the signal has, has, a, has weakness. And so it's, it's dropping. If I get closer, if I go downstairs where the modem is, it does better. In the same way, what I want to do is I want to be clean. That is, I want to have all my sins confessed. I want to be in right fellowship with the Spirit of God. And I want to be close and, 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 and be following as His leading. And in that way, He can help speak into my life and to help me understand. And then the second tool He's given us that we want to line up with this. We have the Spirit of God. He's kind of like the in-your-soul in, in tutor. And then the second thing is the Word of God. The word of God is the tool he gives that we can know the truth. Look at verse 24. 
Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. And what you heard from the beginning abides in you. Then you will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Now, what is it that they heard in the beginning? They heard the teaching of the apostles, which we have recorded in Scripture. And earlier, I referenced John 8, 32, where Jesus said, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let me go back to that. Let's read the full statement that Jesus makes there. It begins in verse 31, John 8, 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Notice that, abide in my word. If you want to know the truth about God, what we want to do is we want to dig into God's Word. We want to stay in God's Word. We want to read God's Word and think about God's Word, and if you can, memorize God's Word. Now, there's just not any other book that you want to look to than the Bible. Um, it's interesting to me that the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, closes with a warning about adding things to the prophecy. And you'll find a lot of times these other religions, they add other holy texts, right? Uh, the Quran for... Um, the Muslim faith, and, and people wonder, um, uh, was Muhammad, was he, was he Christian before he became what he became? Was, he certainly was exposed to Christianity. He credits the Christian uh, prophet, so to speak, influencing him, uh, but he, he builds on the Bible, but he adds the Quran to it. The Book of Mormon, talking about Mormon, I think they've added five books. No wonder they've gone off the rails theologically in their practices, right? We want to stick with the Bible. In fact, fact, verse 25 says that his teaching and his promise is eternal life. Paul says it this way in 2 uh, Timothy 3 where he says, But as for you, continue, he's talking to Timothy here, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with, with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. This is why last week Pastor Zach encouraged us to stay reading God's word on a daily basis. We want to stick with the Bible. I wonder how many of you have ever heard of the late 19th century Christian missionary to Africa, Dr. David Livingstone. How many of you have ever heard of Dr. Livingstone? Okay, many of you have. There's a famous quote that's affiliated with him, not that he said, but was said to him. Anyone tell me what that is? Yeah, Dr. Livingstone, I suppose. You know, <laughs> he went to Africa as a missionary. He went to Africa. He carried 73 books weighing 180 pounds that he carried in three packs. After 300 miles, he came to his senses and he threw them all away, but for one. Which book do you think he kept? Of course, the Bible, right? That's a no-brainer. But yeah, exactly. If we want to know the truth of God, what we want is to allow the Holy Spirit of God help us understand the teaching of the Word of God. And then the third tool, the third resource, this third light that we want to line up is abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ. Look at verse 27. But the anointing that you received, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, right? But the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. 
But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and it is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Now, my question is that last word, him. To whom does that refer? He's been talking about the Holy Spirit's anointing. But when he comes to the Holy Spirit's anointing teaches you to abide in him, I think he's talking about Jesus Christ. And in fact, the next verse, this is actually... um, Next week's teaching text, so I'm going to steal a verse from Pastor Zach. Don't tell, he's downstairs with the kids, don't tell him that I did this, okay? But let's sneak a peek at next week at verse 28, and notice what he goes on to say. And now, little children, he repeats it again, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. He's very clearly talking about the coming of Jesus Christ, so he's talking about Jesus. So... The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to teach me how to abide in Christ. How do I abide in Christ? If you really want to dig into that, go home and read John 15. There are two things in there that I think are most significant. One is prayer. Spending time just in His presence, talking to Him. And then obedience, to do what Jesus says. So I, I, I want the Spirit of God to help me understand the Word of God that I can, as I talk with Christ, do what he wants me to do. And that's how I come to know and to follow him. And the result of this is then we have confidence. We can know, I really know God. And I know what he wants me to do. And I'm walking with him and I can be close to him. It doesn't give us salvation. It gives us the assurance of salvation. And so I want to seek the help of the Spirit of God to understand the word of God that I can do what Christ wants me to do as I seek to follow him. And I want to do that because he is coming again. And I want to be ready when he comes again because we are living in the last hour. Come, Lord Jesus. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are indeed coming again. We've been waiting. It's been a couple thousand years. We're getting impatient down here. But we trust you. Help us to truly know you. To allow your spirit to be our teacher to let your holy Bible be our text and to seek to actually live in obedience to you, talking with you and doing the things that you speak into our life from your word to do, that we might really know the truth and follow you. We ask in Jesus' name.